Hello and welcome. We're nearly there. We're nearly, we're getting towards the end of this series. This is the last but one Bible study about the return of our Lord to this earth. And during this series, from time to time, I've been giving you choices to make. For example, when we looked at the four horsemen of the apocalypse, we had to choose whether the first horseman was Christ himself or the Antichrist. Last time we considered the millennium and we had to choose whether we are in the millennium today and the Lord will return at the end of the millennium or we're in the gospel age today and when the Lord returns, the millennium will begin. Two completely contrasting views. And then the tribulation, when will that take place? Will the Lord return before the tribulation or during it or after it? Now, the thing I want you to remember is that all of these different views are held by equally Bible-loving, Bible-respecting teachers. None of them are uh, abusing the Word of God. They are all seeking to understand it, but they understand it in slightly different ways. And again today, I am going to give you two choices as to how to understand the very day when Jesus returns. The return of the King we read of in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. This letter was written to the Thessal Thessalonians. Now, Paul had founded this church about two years before this. He, with his friend Silas, on the second missionary journey, had come to Thessalonica, and they went to the synagogue to preach the gospel of Jesus there in the synagogue, and it caused a lot of disagreement. In fact, a riot broke out, and eventually they had to get hold of Paul and Silas and secretly help them to escape from the town. Otherwise, they would have been put to death. A year later, Paul is aware of the fact that the church back, back in Thessalonica has got a problem. He had preached to them, but he hadn't taught them. He'd established the church in its infancy, but he wasn't able to establish them in the full teaching about God and Jesus. And so he wrote this letter to begin to teach them about the Lord's coming especially. And then six months later, he wrote to Thessalonians probably in the year 51 AD. Now the church in Thessalonica had a problem. Some of their members had died. And they had thought that all the members were going to be alive when Jesus returned. 
So what was going to happen to them? What's going on here? What about our dead brothers and sisters who are no longer with us? And so Paul wrote this passage to help them to understand. Now, in English schools, we talk about the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Today, in this passage, from this passage, I want to talk to you about the three R's, the return, the resurrection, and the rapture. So let's have a look first at the return. Paul says in verse 13 that the Christian dead had fallen asleep. Not literally asleep. It's a good metaphor. The body looks as if it's asleep. We know that the spirit is with Christ in heaven. But when people are asleep, they usually wake up. And the dead bodies of the deceased Christians will, on resurrection day, wake up. So he uses this term, fallen asleep. And he tells us in verse 14 that Jesus one day is going to return to this earth with those who have fallen asleep in him. In other words, all the believers who have gone to paradise and are with Christ in paradise heaven will come back to this earth with Jesus. And then in verse 15 he tells us that one whole generation of the church will not die natural deaths. One whole generation of the church the generation which is alive when Jesus returns won't pass through the gates of death at all. In verse 15, he talks about the coming of the Lord. And you may have heard somebody talk about the parousia, which means an arrival. Not the arrival of a letter or the arrival of a bus, the arrival of a dignitary, usually the arrival of a king. Let me read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes, parousia, with all his holy ones. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. And then the lawless one, that's the Antichrist. You remember the, um, the outlaw? Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendour of his coming his parousia. And Jesus spoke about this as, as well at length in Matthew chapter 24. As the lightning comes from the east, is visible even in the west, so will be the coming, the parousia of the Son of Man. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be left in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Well, we see that this coming of Jesus in these verses is described as a very noisy event. There'll be a loud command, the voice of an archangel. There's only one archangel named in the Bible, Michael, and the sound of a trumpet call. And trumpets are not something to be ignored. Philippians 2 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Jesus spoke about the lightning coming from the east and shining to the west, and the coming of the Son of Man on clouds with power and glory. This is a visual event. This is something splendid. This is something amazing. It would be spectacular. It would be amazing. It would take people's breath away when they see Jesus returning in this way. The Lord himself will come down, the dead in Christ will rise, and the living in Christ will be caught up 
in the clouds. Not rain clouds. We don't think Jesus is going to return on a rainy day. That's not the point. It's the Shekinah glory clouds in which Jesus returns. The return. Number two, resurrection. In verse 16, we're told the dead in Christ will rise first. In other words, the dead in Christ will be reunited with their bodies. The dead in Christ will be given new bodies which are fit for the new heaven and the new earth which God is going to create. Are you looking forward to your new body? Are you looking forward to having a body that will never be ill and never grow tired and never die? A healthy body fit for eternity in which you can serve God. If you think you're going to be spending eternity floating on a cloud somewhere, strumming a harp, think again. You will have a vigorous, fit, active new body for heaven. Philippians chapter 3 describes this body. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. 1 John chapter 3, when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You are going to look like Jesus one day. You're going to have a, a body, a resurrected body, like Jesus' resurrected body. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, Adam, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man, Jesus. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must close itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Wonderful words which describe the fact that we will be given resurrected bodies like Jesus' resurrected body. Imagine two chrysalis sitting there together on a dock leaf by a pond and a beautiful butterfly flies over them, looking absolutely gorgeous. And one chrysalis says to the other chrysalis, you'll never catch me going up in one of those things. You see, those two chrysalis couldn't possibly understand that they are going to change into a new body and work and live in a new environment. But they're destined to be butterflies. But they can't understand how wonderful the change will be. Sir Walter Raleigh was lying in the Tower of London waiting to be executed on Tower Hill. And he wrote, From this earth, this grave, this dust... My God will raise me up, I trust. You see, Christian, I can tell you that you are a shadow of your future self. Jesus' Jesus's resurrected body showed continuity and change from his earthly body. Continuity, because when he rose from the dead, some people recognised him. 
He could still converse. He could go out for country walks. He could cook a meal. He could eat. He could teach. He could break bread. He could be touched. He could wear clothes. There was continuity between his earthly body and his resurrected body. But there was also change. Some people didn't recognise him, even for a long time. He could appear and disappear at will. He could be in Jerusalem at one moment and in Galilee the next. He could pass through locked doors. And of course, he would never die again. In his resurrection, he was given a different body for a different environment, a new body for a new environment. And so will we be given new bodies for the new environment of the new heavens and the new earth. Paul said we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Jesus will transform our lowly bodies so that we may be like his glorious body. Return, resurrection, rapture. There are some words which you will hear from pulpits, usually, which are not in your Bibles. But they're useful, helpful words. Trinity, substitutionary, millennium, Eucharist, parousia, Calvary, rapture. The word rapture never appears in our English Bibles. But it did in the Latin Bibles. For about a thousand years, between 400 and 1400 AD, the only Bibles translated out of Hebrew and Greek into a European language was the Vulgate, the Latin Bible. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, where it says, we who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Caught up is the Latin verb rapio. It means be carried away. The Greek form of it means grabbed or seized or snatched or taken away. So we're told in verse 17 then, that living believers, when Jesus returns, will be caught up, raptured, taken away into the clouds, the Shekinah cloud, the cloud of glory, with Christ and the rest of the Christian resurrected to meet the Lord in the air. Jesus said, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Those who are taken, those who are snatched up, those who are raptured, will be given their new bodies with the rest of the church, with Christ. When it says in the clouds, surely it doesn't mean rain clouds. Surely it's a reflection of what Jesus said in Matthew 24. All the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Another word we don't find in the Bible, Shekinah. These clouds which radiate the glory of God. And the whole point of this passage in Thessalonians is not to make the church scared, but to bring them comfort and encouragement that the dead church will be resurrected and the living church will be caught up or raptured and all of us will be with the Lord forever. So we see then that the king's coming will be visible. Everybody will see it. Audible, very noisy day. Physical, personal, glorious, public. All eyes will see Christ on that day. But that's only one interpretation of this teaching. There is another. An alternative view taught by somebody called John Nelson Darby. I want to take you back to 1827. 
John Nelson Darby had been born in London. He went to Westminster School, and then he went to Trinity College in Dublin for his university education. He was a very godly man. He loved Christ with all his heart, and he was a very fine Bible scholar. He joined the Church of Ireland as an ordained Anglican minister. But he came to the view that Anglican worship was corrupted, it was too formal, it was too ritualised. He thought Christians should be meeting in their homes, worshipping Christ around their Bibles in a much more simple way. He didn't know it, but he was starting a new denomination, which you might have heard of, the Plymouth Brethren, sometimes today known as the Exclusive Brethren. Now Jesus, Paul and the book of Revelation all talk about Jesus coming like a thief in the night. And under the first view, that means Jesus will take everybody by surprise. But Jay and Darby said, no, it means something rather different from that. Think about a thief coming into your house. He comes in quickly. He comes in unseen. He doesn't make any noise. He's unnoticed. He secretly removes things and takes them off because he's taken them away. And Jay and Darby said the coming of the Lord will be like that. It will be quiet. It will be unseen. It will be unnoticed. It will be invisible and inaudible. The loud command, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call are only heard by believers. Jesus coming down in the clouds is only seen by believers. And the rapture, the taking up of the living church to be with Christ, is secret. Nobody observes it. And nobody who's not a believer observes it. The church is just taken away. It disappears for seven years. And here on the earth, there's a tribulation for seven years when the world is dominated by the Antichrist. And then Jesus will come back in glory with the church and reign for a thousand years. So you see, this way of understanding the rapture is entirely different from way number one. In this way, there are two comings. Jesus comes for his church, takes them away for seven years, then he comes back with his church to reign for a thousand years. Also, there are two resurrections. When he first returns, the Christian dead rise from the dead. And then when he comes back the second time with the church, he raises unbelievers from the dead for judgment. Now, this interpretation moved to the United States where it was eagerly adopted. And soon it was published in a Bible called the Schofield Reference Bible, and during the 20th century, it became the dominant view in the English-speaking Christian world. So I've presented to you two ways of understanding the day of the king's return. What we know is the king will return. He will raise his people from the dead, those who've died, and those who are still living will go up to be with the Lord. The last generation of the church will go up and receive their resurrected bodies and they will be with Christ forever and ever. But Bible scholars sometimes differ. They differed over the millennium. They differed over the tribulation. They differ over the conversion of the Jews. And now they differ over whether rapture will be something public and amazing, a glorious spectacle which everybody is aware of, or whether it will be a secret event, 
which only the church is aware of. But what we all agree on is this. Jesus will return. He will raise the dead from their graves. He will give them new bodies. And the last generation of the church will be caught up to be with the Lord forever. And therefore, we all need to be preparing for that day by doing our utmost to spread the kingdom of God by allowing the reign of God to dwell in our own hearts and lives and minds, that Jesus will be supreme in us as his church, and that we will spread the word of God, spread the gospel of Jesus, so that more and more will be with Christ on that great day. Let me close with Charles Wesley's hymn, Rejoice, the Lord is King. His kingdom cannot fail. He rules our earth and heaven, The keys of death and hell are to our Jesus given. He sits at God's right hand till all his foes submit and bow to his command and fall beneath his feet. Rejoice in glorious hope. Jesus the judge shall come and take his servants up to their eternal home. We soon shall hear the archangel's voice. The trump of God shall sound. Rejoice! Jesus is coming back. Hallelujah! Amen.